Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to Channel 127. I'm John Fugelsang. This is the little corner of paradise called Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble since previous decade on a previous channel. Hope you had a good week. It's been crazy here. We thank all of you guys for being great listeners, great callers. We've been reading your emails. I was away much last week, so it's really nice to be back. Thanks to all of our right-wing trolls. Seriously, you guys made my week. To get a couple of guys a night who'll call and defend the Confederacy while saying Democrats are racist because of things that happened in the in the 1800s, I, I love you. Please, keep it up. And tonight is going to be a really fun way to cap your week. We're going to have one of the best labor journalists in America, the great Bob Henley, the ferociously independent journalist, come to talk about, well, preventable disasters and how in the couple of weeks since the Norfolk southern rail disaster, which of course resulted in the release of tons of vinyl chloride and other highly toxic chemicals into the air and the water and the soil in Ohio and Pennsylvania. You might not know it from watching the news, but people in East Palestine, Ohio, really want to see some accountability from Norfolk Southern. You know, we keep hearing the people on the right blaming it on Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg and people on the left talking about how, well, Donald Trump did this with Elaine Chao. But no one's talking about the actual corporation that cut corners and caused this to happen. You know who's talking about it? The people who live in East Palestine and Bob Henley's been there. And finally, the great Max Burns will join us in hour number three to talk all about Ron DeSantis and how he's teaching Republicans how to win their war on public schools. Max calls it educational gerrymandering. Uh, I call it rank fuckery from a doughy mediocrity like Mon DeSantis, and we should be ready for a lot more of it. The great Thea Harper is our associate producer. My God, she had a good segment on the air last night. And then, of course, there is the Mac, uh, our, our executive producer, Chris Houselt, who at this point 
I hope you right-wing trolls call in. I hope some of you Breitbart listeners who are confused by shiny things accidentally hit the wrong buttons and, and wind up here. Because Chris is ready to tear you all apart. I, I, I Every time one of you right-wing trolls calls up here, and I can hear you, I, I can hear you verbally misspelling your apostrophes, I try to be nice. I try to be polite. My whole thing is, let me get my Gandhi on and, and Jimmy Carter the shit out of this dispute. But not so yeah. much my executive producer, Chris. Chris, no. he will go at you. He will he will be ferocious. He will he will go at you like he's one of the brothers in Oasis and you're the other one. And he will hate uh, you and he will destroy prefer, you and make you weep. Yes? I prefer this analogy. Um, Please. You are like the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. And I'm like George the Animal Steel over here just eating the turnbuckle. Mm, it's a wrestling. That's, it's beautiful. It's a wrestling metaphor from 1985. That's okay. You know what? That means it's probably quite timely for Donald Trump supporters who we have to talk about a, a little bit tonight. We love when you guys call us. And, and I, I'm just at this point, I'm done trying to make Chris play nice when y'all call in. I mean, you know who I'm talking about. We had a couple of racists the other night. And I'm always just like, please, Hammer, don't hurt him. Not anymore. Gloves are off. I will let Chris put a hurt on you if Chris needs to do that. <laughs> and, of course, our number is 866-997-4748. Andrew Tate has cancer? Andrew Tate is claiming he has a spot in his lung? Is the tumor okay? If you don't know who Andrew Tate is, don't worry. That joke is completely acceptable. Let's get to it. Tonight... We have so much to talk about this Republican Party. Uh, South Carolina Republicans have filed a bill to make abortion a death penalty crime. Yes, in Chris's state, they're going to make abortion a death penalty crime because they're so pro-life, they will kill you. Then more Republican fuckery. Walgreens is not going to distribute abortion pills in states where abortion pills are legal. But Republican attorneys general object. This is terrifying. The second largest pharmacy chain confirmed last night. They're not going to give legal pills in states where these pills are legal because they're that terrified of politicians coming down on private business. And then there's Mississippi, which is just going full KKK. I mean, you've probably heard they have voted to more or less take control away from the majority black city of Jackson take away their right to choose their own elected officials, and instead white state Republicans will be selecting the officials who will run the city of Jackson. I'm not making that up. And then they just passed a bill to try to restrict electric car dealerships because those threaten pollution, and pollution is freedom. So with this much Republican craziness going on, it's only natural we have another edition of CPAC. You know CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, the major gathering of right-wing activists. It happens once a year or twice or three times a year in America. Sometimes they do it in Hungary to welcome some other fascists. But once upon a time, this was among the most important events on the conservative political calendar. We went there a few years ago uh, when we were on the old channel, and it was amazing. I mean, you just see Rick Berry and Sarah Palin and Chris Christie and people who respect them all walking around without a hint of irony. And you realize, oh, okay, this is this is why the aliens are never going to land and give us warp drive. But in the last couple of years, you might have noticed the reputation of CPAC has kind of uh, been degraded. It's gone from being this must-attend political experience to sort of being like MAGA Comic-Con. It really is just a Woodstock for Donald Trump fans. Remember the, the golden calf statue of Trump they had two years ago? It's 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 just people go there and, and celebrate freedom diabetes. That's what CPAC is. CPAC is where Wayne LaPierre 
comes out uh, and says how all of our allies who have substantially lower murder rates are less safe than us. That's that's CPAC. This year, it's smaller. It's a lot simpler. It's just Trump, Trump, Trump. It's his little party. Ron DeSantis is skipping CPAC. Former Vice President Mike Pence is skipping CPAC. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel. None of them want to be seen there. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. One of them is that uh, Matchlap is poison. The guy who runs CPAC, who was recently, and can we say credibly accused, of, as the kids say, grabbing the junk of a campaign worker on the Herschel Walker Senate campaign in the state of Georgia. And uh, Matt Schlapp is fighting back against these accusations. But you can kind of smell the stank. And it's really just a Trump convention. Donald Trump Jr. spoke in a more than half-empty room. You, y'all, this is one of the areas where radio while more intimate, can't do justice to what these ballrooms looked like at maybe a third capacity. I mean, I was there a few years ago and they were packed. There is no one there. At one point, Donald Trump told attendees during his speech to look for gold-wrapped chocolate bars under their seats for a chance to win the VIP ticket to a reception with his dad this weekend. And when you watch it, you hear all these strange noises and you realize that there's people running to all the hundreds and hundreds of empty seats to look under them. It's weird. I mean, they've, they've said it's like conservative Woodstock. It's not. It's like Comic-Con for America's biggest Vladimir Putin fans. People always say, oh, CPAC, it's like the Star Wars Cantina. And that's rude because at least the Star Wars Cantina had diversity. So let's go through, huh, shall we? For your pleasure, so you don't have to listen to it. How to Punch Down from Inside the Gutter, the top 10 moments at CPAC 2023, because it was a bad day for a lot of bad people. First off, Nikki Haley, she gave it a go, had a speech echoing her campaign's theme of generational change. Uh, it didn't go that well. Here, here Nikki is saying how wokeness is a virus that's worse than the pandemic. A4. On Biden and Harris's watch, this woke self-loathing has swept our country. It's in the classroom, the boardroom, and the back rooms of government. We're told our country is flawed, rotten, and full of hate. Joe and Kamala even say that America's racist. <laughs> Wokeness is a virus more dangerous than any pandemic hands down. I have traveled the world and back, and I've seen what's out there. America isn't perfect, but the principles at the heart of America are perfect. Okay, you get the impression? You're going to hear the word woke a lot. Now, here's Nikki Haley with her big witty laugh line. This is A6 about mental competency tests. This one, you can tell she planned to be her big applause getter. Enjoy. When I launched my campaign, I said every politician over 75 years old should be required to take a mental competency test. Have you seen D.C. lately? We should start with Joe Biden, and we shouldn't stop there. There's one person clapping at the end of that. Ooh. Oh, my God. I mean, Chris, have you seen the pictures? There's, there's a, no one there. There's a moment when she delivers a line where she like does this like half breath. Yeah. And we all know that half breath. It's like when you think yep. you've just uncorked a zinger, and you're like, that's it. Ha, ha, ha. And it's, it goes... It's, it's, 
It's a I, Jeb I, Bush, please clap moment. I just want to hear it one more When time. I launched my campaign, I said every politician over 75 years old should be required to take a mental competency test. Have you seen D.C. lately? We should- oh, oh, there it is. Oh, it's like Bill de Blasio's <laughs> so constant. Remember Bill de Blasio's gotcha lines that never got anyone in those Democratic debates? Oof. It got worse for Nikki. She left at the stage and was doing a photo op in the hallway and got heckled by Trump supporters while walking through CPAC. That's why so many Republican politicians who skipped the event this year were so smart. Here's Congressman James Comer promising his caucus cares about working Americans and their economic needs. And that's why they're going to do whatever it takes to destroy the Biden family. Are you going to be issuing subpoenas on all those various members, the people? That, and can you... Can you compel them? Can you force them to testify? We're going to do whatever it takes to get the truth. Whatever it takes. We're starting with the everyone that was involved in the Hunter Biden influence peddling scheme. I'm pleased to report we communicated with four of those people this week, either directly with the individual or with their attorneys. So we are making progress. We've just been chairman of the committee for five weeks, and we've already uh, made contact and I'm pleased to say are are getting some cooperation from some of the people involved in the influence peddling. Wow. I don't know what I feel safer about going after Hunter Biden's laptop, going after drag queens or going after trans kids who want to play sports. But at least there's a party out there that's looking after my needs. You want to you want to hear some more? I wanted to play the top 10. There's a few more to go. Uh, Oh, boy. Okay, so so here is Ben Carson. And I got to tell you, Chris, this could be my favorite moment of the entire CPAC. There's, it's, re- it's really good. There's no big gotcha lines, and it's Ben Carson, you know. I mean, you remember Ben Carson when he said that if he had been in the room with that Oregon mass shooter, that he would have disabled the shooter by getting up and talking until the assailant fell asleep. Um, ben Carson was giving a speech today, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to set this up. You know when you're watching the Oscars and they're ready for someone to wrap up their speech and the band starts playing. Well, CPAC doesn't spring for a band. They play a tape and they started playing Ben Carson's music for him to get off stage. And he didn't think he needed to. So they raised the volume of his music. I just want you to play this and just stay with it. This is Ben Carson reading to a two thirds empty room. And the one third of people who are there are not listening to him. And he doesn't care that they're trying to make him leave the stage college students, young staffers, what you need to know about the government so that you don't have to, so that you can hit the ground running because we need to get these people in because 90% of the, of the career employees are people who live in this area, who have the politics of this area, who slow things down, who push okay. things forward. Wrap it up, Dr. We've got to be able to do much better than that okay. by understanding this process. So that's okay, what the EPA is all about. Okay, he's got applause. He's going to clear the stage. And Hang on. This will help us to No, 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 wait, 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 wait. And Dr. Carson? Question, yeah. Which Benjamin Franklin said, if Race we volume. can keep it, it's a wonderful system what we have. Don't let anybody tell okay. you anything that's different from that. Okay. Bring but it home, kids. we're the ones who are going to have to do it. And if okay. you want to know, can Stand we by. keep it? Find Cube a World War II veteran and ask them. 
what was going through their head okay. at D-Day when they are on the shores of Normandy and all of those people were being shot. And okay, they he's wrapping up. Dead bodies, right. knowing okay. in many cases they would never see their loved ones or their homeland again. Okay, we're going to wrap this Why up. Stand by. They did it for you and me so that we could live in peace and safety. Okay. Ask okay. them if we can keep it. Big we finish coming up. With all of us. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> all right, even, Dr. Ben even Carson. The uh, Newsmax anchors felt sorry uh, for him there. A, a good speech, a good solid speech, one that uh, folks seem to enjoy. <laughs> However, it could, it's not lost on myself or Tom Basile, who joins us right now, who's the host of America right now, um, it, it, that they were playing the music. I mean, they're behind. It, it, That's not his fault. Uh-oh, yeah, Maggie's no, not going to like that. No, that no, news anchor's no, out of a no, job no. for saying that against Dr. Ben Carson. Um, so you guys get the idea, right? It was amateurish. It was sparsely attended. It was vulgar. It was offensive. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene showed up. Here she is, furious, furious with Zelensky for starting this evil war, and even more furious at Ukraine for not enjoying their Russian guests. And while I'm still committed to saying no money to Ukraine, and that country needs to find peace, not war. Find it, Zelensky. look at a camera and directly tell Zelensky, you better leave your hands off of our sons and daughters because they're not dying over there. Yeah, there's no draft. Okay, there's... They're too busy here dying in school. Yeah. We need our people to be here so they can be shot at supermarkets. Wow. I mean, it's it's a Putin Comic-Con, Chris. It's just, let's go beat up on Zelensky and never mention who it was that was invading their country. It's like they're they're literally blaming Tina for making Ike so upset all those times. Well, you know, Tina, it'd be nice if you could just make peace, Tina. All right, now, now, now it gets dark. Let's talk about Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> Here is Donald Trump on so much cocaine. He's getting paranoid about the FBI tracking his phone. So much cocaine that he seems to have forgotten that his dad is the one who hired the current FBI director. Folks, raise your hand if you don't have a phone. to keep my phone away because i know like i'm on every fbi list imaginable so i just gotta keep it away because like they're gonna drone me one day like it... what you're president <laughs> also stir stir the sauce <laughs> <laughs> i don't know officer i just showed up and the hooker was dead in the trunk of my car <laughs> now now we're in the home stretch now now we have to get to you know really the the most whack cpac hack award and the final three nominees are uh here's donald trump's former head of ICE, Thomas Homan, who um, apparently is drinking blood of orphans and clearly wishes he had more families he could separate. I wake up every day pissed off because this administration destroyed the most secure border in our lifetime. And, and I'm sick and tired of hearing about the family separation. And you know, I'm still being sued over that. So come get me. I don't give a shit. Right. Bottom line is we enforce the law. American families, when I was a cop in New York and I arrested a father for domestic violence or someone for DUI, I separated that family. When you violate the law with a child, you're going to be separated. 
In other words, when you cross the border with your child to try to get in a better life or to flee from America's drug war in Central America, we're going to steal your child because you broke the law. Now, let's get to Match Lap. Um, the man we all have to thank for this year's CPAC being funnier than ever. You know, if you're Match Lap and you've been credibly accused of fondling without consent, groping the crotch of a male campaign staffer and you're going to have cpac anyway and go on stage and reasonably count on the fact that anyone who's at cpac probably watches newsmac and fox and doesn't know that what you've been accused of is the first person you're going to bring on stage with you a congressman who's credibly accused by multiple sources of knowing about ongoing sexual abuse at a university wrestling program and looking the other way yes here's match lap shamelessly calling Jim Jordan the most powerful man in Washington. Ironically, I don't know who is hitting rock bottom more, Jordan or Schlapp. There's a lot of chatter in the media about who's here and not here. I'm really proud to be standing alongside someone I think might just be the most powerful man in Washington, D.C. No. Ooh. And finally... I can tell you this, the winner of the most whack CPAC hack award, the, the, the worst thing I heard all day, maybe you heard it too. And by the way, th this isn't legally binding. We have a very flexible committee. If you think you heard something at CPAC worse than what you're about to hear, call us at 866-997-4748 and let us know. But here is Don Trump Jr. again. He's one of the few that makes the list twice. And here he is, more or less, not just going after John Fetterman, but wholesale mocking disabilities, mocking theoretical people with disabilities, mocking having a disability, mocking what the lives of Americans with disabilities must to him be like. This clip is amazing. He's attacking disabled people just like his dad did. So maybe he is qualified to be president. But as Chris pointed out earlier, this is amazing to hear how even in the gutter, this millionaire at birth who likes to murder elephants for entertainment, even in the gutter, he can find a way to punch down. Pennsylvania managed to elect a vegetable. Fetterman. They criticized me as being ableist. I didn't know what that was, but there's always an ist, right? There's, a, there's always an ist, and it doesn't matter what you're talking about. And apparently an ableist is someone who discriminates against those with disabilities. I said, well, I'm not discriminating against an ambulance. I'd love for John Fetterman to have like good gainful employment. Maybe he could be like a bad guy at like a grocery store or, but like, is it unreasonable for me to expect as a citizen of the United States of America to have a United States Senator have basic cognitive function? Did you hear that, Chris? It was another moment like Nikki Haley waiting for the applause when he, he had his little joke. And you know, he wrote this joke saying that maybe because John Fetterman is a vegetable that he can get a job packaging groceries uh, at a supermarket. I'm, and he got no laughs. He got no applause. It's kind of amazing. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. 
Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying welcome to it. It was on this date in 1873, the U.S. Congress enacted the Comstock Law, which made it illegal to send any obscene, lewd, or lascivious books through the mail. Mm, that lasted. Emails were fine in 1873. Okay, it's been, what, two weeks since the Norfolk Southern Rail disaster. We have seen the images of the vast quantities of vinyl chloride and other toxic chemicals that have been released into the soil, the water, the air in Ohio and Pennsylvania. We have seen elected officials from both parties blame elected officials from both parties. And, and some of them are beginning to finally talk about Norfolk Southern Railroad, which is a very deserving target. Norfolk Southern is just one of seven class one railroads. There used to be 50 of these in the 1980s. Now um, it's uh, it's down to just seven. And they reportedly increased their payout to their shareholders by some 4,500 percent while it was cutting their labor force by a third before the Ohio catastrophe. Yeah, another catastrophe that was most likely deeply preventable. And yet, as our next guest points out, America's elected leadership from both political parties don't have clean hands either. I am so glad to welcome Robert Henley back to the show. He's an award-winning investigative journalist with a 40-year career who's covered public policy from top to bottom, corruption, economy, homeland security, environmental policy, immigration, you name it. Senior reporter at WNYC for 12 years. You may have read his stuff in the New York Times, the Christian Science Monitor, the Detroit Free Press. We are always thrilled to welcome Bob Henley back to SiriusXM. Thank you for having me back. Thank you, sir. How have you been? Good. It's been very intense. We've. Um, this is one of these things where uh, the unions uh, normally get neglected in a story like this, but I think the fact that they were um, so agitated after uh, Congress forced them to take a contract, a majority of them voted against because it didn't yeah. have sick time. They were already right. kind of pre-organized and... I'm seeing a very exciting thing happen where the community, uh, East Palestine, and uh, the workers are demanding accountability. And that has changed the script. That's something I haven't heard on Fox News. All I hear on Fox News is how can we blame Pete Buttigieg for this? But you're talking about the people who live there, who actually matter, who we know went for Donald Trump and presumably consume right-wing media, but it seems like they're not really worried about Buttigieg. They're addressing the railroad itself. Right, and they're also trying to sort through the contradictory messages of uh, this kind of performative art, which is a government response to a local emergency. Okay. And so they get these messages like, well, yes, we have 42,000 dead fish and amphibians, but it's safe for you to return home. 
And so uh, they are now uh, saying, well, what about the long-term consequences? And that's the thing that we just don't factor into the risk-benefit analysis anywhere in America, but particularly in our corridor communities. The sad reality is that red or blue states, whatever the color, whatever the voting history is, America's corridor communities are ill-prepared for something on the scale of what happened. A majority of these communities rely on volunteers, and they are woefully unprepared without the most basic respiratory equipment. It's, it's, it's worse than COVID because rail and, um, and uh, chemicals have been around for a long time, and yet they don't have the basic things they need to keep themselves safe. So there's no doubt that what happened here in East Palestine is going to create the same kind of long-term shadow on the life of these volunteers that it did for the people who were in lower Manhattan that we've talked about a lot, who were told by the U.S. EPA, which wanted to keep Wall Street open, that the air was safe to breathe. The air was safe to breathe. Where have we heard that before, Bob? Yeah. And now Um, we have lost more people to the occupational exposure than we did the day of the attack. So let me ask, I mean, is this by design? You know, this lack of preparation, this lack of safety, this disaster waiting to happen. I mean, is it by design? Because it, it, it certainly seems like they could have taken a slightly less bit of profit for the CEOs, maybe done a little less stock buyback to just make sure that this was going to be safe. But it, it just sort of seems like the sweet hereafter. This was not an accident. Someone didn't well, do their job. Right. And that's why this happened in East Palestine. Well, I would say that the American railroads occupy a very special uh, piece of American history. Consider what a leg up they had when Congress gave them millions of acres that belonged to native people just because they wanted to come across the country with this industrial contraption. So they started off pretty well. They have a kind of quasi sovereign immunity. Their power in communities was always huge. And in the last few years, We've been busy replicating the 19th century and taking 47 class one railroads and having it down to seven. That would be the same kind of thing that Theodore Roosevelt thought was a problem. But we in this historical village called America recreated the Gilded Age. Only it's in the 21st century and everybody needs a cell phone. Well, that explains all the income inequality I see around me, so that makes a lot of sense. You know, you had a great piece about uh, East Palestine in Salon. You've had several, actually, Bob, and I want to I talk about them all. The recent piece, Cover-Up, Workers Know the Truth About the Derailment Disaster. Why are they being ignored? Y- you point out that, that we got all these perspectives when the wreck happened— when the media showed up, began really giving this some heavy coverage. Um, and we saw political partisans pointing fingers all over the place at each other. But you say it didn't matter if it was the New York Times, the Washington Post, or the Associated Press. The reporting relied on interviews with local, state, and federal officials, as well as statements from the Norfolk Southern, the rail carrier, but not the perspective of their union workers. I want to right. say I'm surprised, Bob, but I'm really not. Tell me. <laughs> Well, part of it is that um, there is a, a, the reality that if the National Transportation Safety Board investigates uh, these kinds of rail disasters and if unions want to preserve their standing to defend their members as party to the investigation, they can't go running off at the mouth. But that said, there are all sorts of uh, labor organizations that 
could have been, um, you know, contacted. And more importantly, even to date, uh, uh, there was one recent story, like weeks in, uh, we have not talked about the chronic exposure. Because remember, this thing played out uh, over a series of days. It wasn't one catastrophe. It was That's right. it happened on February 3rd. They tried to stabilize it, 4th, 5th, and then they convinced because it's on the borderlands of, uh, as you say, between uh, where, where it's in Ohio, but it has direct impact on neighboring communities in Pennsylvania. And so basically the vinyl chloride uh, tanker cars were considered to be unstable, and they decided to vent them and detonate it, and that way to try to reduce the, the risk of a catastrophic explosion right. where they would have had you know, shrapnel. But the reality is, is as... Uh, has been, uh, as uh, the governor of Pennsylvania um, pointed out, Shapiro pointed out, uh, this was something where the railroad called the shots. They didn't participate in unified command. Um, They did not um, cooperate, and they didn't share all their information. In fact, the labeling on the cars melted, so they didn't even know what it was that they were dealing with. Moreover, I think it's really important to understand that in this laissez-faire you know, let the railroads do whatever they want. People might be surprised to know that each individual railroad sets up uh, how hot the train can run. That's right. It's up to the railroad to set the uh, sensors on the tracks for a level of heat they think is tolerable. And it's different according to which different railroad is making that interpretation. Now, wouldn't Shocking. our friends who drive trucks just love to be able to set their own speed limit. But if you're a big enough railroad, spend enough money in Congress, the world is your oyster. Oh, well, I mean, but I, I also got from your piece that, which I didn't know, whenever the National Transportation Safety Board does an investigation uh, and they give their recommendations, none of that's binding, is it? I mean, the railroads no, at the end of the day will determine not. how hot their trains can run. And, and it's just going to be it's just going to be the, the the police will police themselves. Well, it's 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 like also if you can get around to it. And so I just got something else I'm working on this over the weekend. Apparently, um, the agency that monitors the performance of our hazardous waste tank cars, you want to keep a close eye on them. They can do Bhopal type damage. And Mm. they found out, don't you know, that the aluminum fittings across the tank of the tanker cars, well, they melted. And that would be something you'd like to have, like maybe a national stand down for safety. But no, that's not what they did. They just made an observation and suggested that the railroads take a look at their equipment. You know, this makes me think that it's not just about the media not listening to the union workers. This is this is no one listening to the insights of labor in the government and in, in, in the rail industry and in the transit industry. I mean, it, it, this must be so frustrating for transport workers in their union who represent all these different people in service sectors that like they can't get listened to. And then these disasters happen. Well, and that and this we saw this played out where the nurses um, were dealing with the covid situation, the CDC with an eye towards inventory control for masks. Mm. Uh, said that, you know, you should, uh, while you're trained to dispose of your mask after each encounter with the patient, in this special period of time, a national emergency, you'll adopt the mask as a pet and bring it back to work for a week. <laughs> and the nurses warned that, one, they would die, two, the hospitals would become a vector for the disease, and the disease would spread. That's exactly what happened. So this is not an exception. I would say that pretty much 
when it comes to working people, they're cut out of the decision making. I, I have to say, I am seeing in this latest disaster a little change of that pattern. Uh, that's because the railroad uh, uh, workers, I think, and their unions, because that's another problem. The unions, and I said this as a former Erie Lackawanna employee, one of the, the problems is it takes a lot of different crafts to keep steel gliding on steel. So there's mm-hmm. like 12 unions. And so that's really hard to have solidarity. That is changing. And so I did see, for instance, remember when this the vinyl chloride went up in the air, there's all kinds of uh, byproducts of that, phosgene and dioxin. Originally, the EPA wasn't going to test for dioxin. That's a good news, boys and girls. We're going to look what? for what we don't want to find. And after the railroad workers expressed the fact that they were sick, their union leadership mentioned it to the political leaders, the community. Aaron Bakovich was out there um, uh, getting some level of militancy from the community. They pushed back. And now, all of a sudden, Norfolk Southern's going to look for what? Dioxin. Ooh. Wow. If you're just joining us, we're talking to the great Bob Henley on Sirius XM. Our number is 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Um, Bob, you have another piece uh, that came out a bit earlier, almost two weeks ago, in Salon about this, uh, called Traveling Bombs. Ohio disaster shows how both parties enable 21st century rail robber barons. And you point out uh, crystal clear that during both the Obama and Trump administrations, the rail industry successfully lobbied against stricter rules for trains carrying flammable chemicals and against more advanced brakes that experts and the rail industry itself have said could lessen the severity of derailments. I mean, both political parties deserve some scrutiny when it comes to the issue of deregulation, don't they? Yeah, well, I do. I mean, I think that uh, in the Obama administration, it was a little bit better. And the Trump folks really, it lurched. Uh, and they, I think, were uh, quicker to roll stuff back. But in general, uh, you have to look at the two major parties as the two rails that keep the greed machine on track. And they have managed for the last, I don't know, decades. And in terms of tax policy, I mean, one of the problems is that we promote this kind of thing where Wall Street comes into an industry, blows it up through acquisition, goes inside, it figures out, and they have made, I mean, just in the case of uh, Norfolk Southern, I think in the last, in the first nine months of 2022, the nation's major railroads earned $21 billion in profits and spent $25 billion in stock buybacks and dividends, okay? Mm-hmm. This is while why they are using uh, something called precision schedule railroading, where they try to reduce the uh, the number of folks that are doing all the various jobs. And so they make the trains longer of course. and of heavier. Course. And so, right. So they, they privatize the gain and socialize the risk. That's and it. This is where our government has not been acting in our best interest. And I think it's even time to talk about taking the railroads back, putting them back into the public domain. I don't know why it is that they have to continue to have this franchise. I mean, you should take a look at how many hazardous waste sites they have along these rail lines where they act like they're above the law and don't even bother to clean them up. Yeah, but is it, would there be more uh, honest question? Would would there be more accountability? If they were nationalized, if the government was in charge of this instead of the private business, would there be more accountability or would it just be more passing the buck and well, no one actually paying a price? 
you could use um, um, an Italian model where the rail belongs to the government and the companies that are on the rail that have rolling stock are private. But one of the things is that we don't have an even playing field here. I'll just give you an example. In the airline sector, Please. there's something called confidential close uh, call hotline where every employee involved with aviation, and it's a kind of thing like we like precision in aviation. We don't want you to get sloppy. And so there's a system for reporting close calls or problems at your job. And if you do that, there's a whistleblower protection. The railroads don't have the same program. They won't participate. Mm. So there is no incentive. And so when um, rail workers stand up and are concerned about something on the job, they are punished for that. And so we're not even letting, uh, and we can't be surprised. I mean, we have to remember that. Do you remember that thing that happened in Quebec? This was back in 2013, I think. La Manatique in Quebec, that was the town where a runaway uh, fuel train loaded with Bakken crude crashed into a town in Quebec. Um, uh, you know, dozens of people are killed. Half the town was incinerated. I mean, this is the kind of thing. These things have been happening. Yeah. And it's just like because the money is so big and the powers that be – are able to throw like hundreds of millions of dollars in lobbying and fifty million dollars in campaign contributions. We just look the other way. That's it, because there's always going to be someone to who will pay money to look at those giant poisonous clouds rising into the sky and say that's not a disaster. That's just big government getting off of private businesses back, like oil <laughs> washing up on the shore. Right? It's just there's big government getting off daddy's back. Well, and I do think, though, that there is uh, this rail disaster in the beginning when I first wrote that first piece in the beginning of February, I knew that it was going to take on national significance. I think they're now going to be in the position of having to talk about buying these homes. Mm, you think, think that's going to will that happen? They were I mean, they were yeah. trying to get away with giving like away what, like 50 bucks a person. I mean, they were had some insultingly low offer to relocate yeah, people and, temporarily. And, and, Yes, and plastic floor arrangements to the assisted living facility. Oh, my God. And then, of course, oh my God. Uh, I, but I do think, though, that this issue of the fact that our volunteer firefighters are so wholly unprepared, and particularly what just stuns me is that having covered so many funerals and the ongoing loss that happens every day now at this point, yeah. losing somebody from 9-11, that what was the center issue around this? The lack of proper respiratory equipment and why is it that we are not learning when there's something like east palestine it's a scandal that this country would spend hundreds of billions of dollars on weapons and defense and that the volunteer fire departments ems don't have the basic respiratory equipment for a catastrophic chemical fire really There's so much money being spent to make sure nothing changes, Bob. That's the system. I'm curious, what what is giving you hope, Mr. Henley? And and what politicians should we look to for true inspiration here and not just lip service? Is there anyone who's impressed you so far? Well, I mean, I would say, I mean, Sherrod Brown in Ohio certainly uh, was hit the tone uh, very early on. Um, I would say that uh, I'm looking to this coalition that I see emerging between local community groups, environmentalists, and and rail unions for um, for safer operations of rail to make those connections between those corridor communities. Corridor communities, as I said, in red states and blue states, it doesn't matter. 
this is something that uh, this disinvestment has been something that's been going on for a long time. We do have an opportunity now. There is There are billions of dollars that are in the pipeline um, that was already um, appropriated, and now we just have to make sure that it gets applied to the right places. And also we just have to insist that if we're going to have uh, that reporters get the full story and not leave workers out of the picture. Yeah. I mean, and you said it in another piece in Salon, the runaway train lobby, rail giants spent millions to fight stricter rules before Ohio disaster. You've been sounding the call on this, Bob. I I really worry we're never going to hear honest, probing stories about this through a mainstream corporate media that, let's be honest, aren't fans of union labor themselves. That's what worries me. You have a few battles there. Yeah. It's so hard to actually, I I always say, I love going to the Labor Day Parade in New York City because there's no helicopters filming it. They don't document the Labor Day Parade for the local news. (laughs) I mean, I always say I'll believe that the media is liberal when they cover labor issues as much as they cover celebrity gossip. So it it just makes me kind of feel like we're not going to be hearing from these whistleblowers internally and from these union workers who were there all along trying to sound the alarm. Well, I would say the lever had some pieces on this. I did yes. see the Times pick up that. Um, I know that my stuff got reprinted several times. I think that also there is um, the labor, the railroads themselves have, uh, come, there's a coalition, uh, Railroad uh, uh, Workers United, which is a coalition uh, which has a media committee, which has done more to advance uh, people's understanding of railroads um, than just about anything. So, it is. It is. There is a change afoot. Uh, the thing right. is, we just. It has to happen faster because, as we're speaking right now, there are trains rumbling through unprepared corridor communities. There are there are bombs, riding on the rails through corridor communities right now, and this has proven it. And you know, Bob, you're you're the expert on this for me because I can't think of a single journalist who's done more to document the grim reality that the heroes of 9-11, 22 years later, are still fighting for health care after years of the government telling them everything's okay. I mean, you're one of the few guys who's consistently writing about the fact that we talk about 2,600 people who died that day, but we don't talk about the tens of thousands of first responders and civilian survivors who are still being treated afterwards. We well, don't and that, get a full yeah, picture of these disasters. That, right, and there's now a push, which I just wrote about recently, uh, Congress did not fully fund the World Trade Center health program, which has made a difference. In, it's got over 110,000 people participating in it. I don't think that people understand the scale of the uh, the humanitarian disaster. There were 20,000 K-12 through kids that were ordered back into dozens of schools there in lower Manhattan and western Brooklyn, which are part of the disaster zone where the cloud really played this played out for months the fires didn't go out until st patrick's day in the next year that's right and so we are now dealing with the situation where you have uh thousands and thousands of college students commuters um civilians many people who by the way they may not have been uh first responders but they were american heroes because they came back and animated a place yes that had been dead and put it and brought it back to life. And so the fact is that because we have such a scarcity-based health care, um, that we do have to have some kind of um, uh, safety net here for these people. And yeah. my concern, though, is that 
we're going to, until we make sure that we factor in long-term health consequences into the risk threat matrix, when we think about transporting chemicals, we have to think about the long-term cost of when something goes wrong. And that's, and that's what, you know, the legacy of 9-11 has to be is what a profound difference it would have made if the EPA had been transparent instead of telling people something that they, according to the inspector general, made representations that they didn't have the, uh, the documentation to back up. And so that, I think, and this is the other thing, too, the EPA has to understand, I think, that that, that instance where they were so clearly caught not being credible. That that resonates. That yeah. goes on. And so when the EPA comes into town, in, in your town, and says it's safe to go back, the legacy of all the broken promises of Superfund sites in 9-11 casts a shadow over those representations. Mm. Mm. And again, no one ever paid a price for saying the air was safe to breathe in New York after the attacks. You, you document Nate Coward, who was 20 years old on active duty with the Army at Fort McNair, who was part of search and rescue at the Pentagon— we talk about all the, the environmental hazards at, at the Trade Center, but this kid was at the Pentagon, and he had to be medically retired from the Army by the age of 23 because he had so much trouble breathing, so much pain breathing. And this is someone who 20 years later is still, after being determined by the VA to be permanently and totally disabled, still trying to get his benefits. Right. That's a and that's the other thing, too, is that it the... The lifestyle that these people go through who have um, are suffering with some form, and many of these people have, like, there's 25,000 folks with cancer now, some of them with multiple afflictions. Um, there are thousands of people with long-term respiratory issues that came out of that. And so the the thing they have to go through to fight the bureaucracy, and, and to some degree I've been able to be helpful in some instances, but often they have to fight just tooth and nail to make sure that they get their benefits. And so it's the same phenomenon we've seen with veterans can relate to this if they were dealing with Agent Orange, right? It's like the bureaucracy fights you, fights you. It's almost you feel like they're hoping that you'll die. Hmm. You know, it's that well, kind yeah. of losing calculation. If you die, their problem goes away. Right, exactly. And so we have to have, we don't want to have any more 9-11 World Trade Center program is necessary. So that means when we're factoring in, we have to try to reduce the use of hazardous materials in our life. We can reduce that stuff in the waste stream and in the transportation sector if we start to calculate what it will mean to have to buy an entire town every once in a while. Oh, my God. Bob Henley, boy, you speak the truth and you don't hold back. It is always a great pleasure to have you join us. What's on your radar for uh, for the weeks to come? Where are you training uh, your focus? Uh, so I would say that it's going to be um, this uh, this accountability drive, because I think what's happening is this is like a prairie fire. So now yes. all the other corridor communities that are dealing with the waste from East Palestine are kind of like, hmm, I wondered why that 18-wheeler was coming through the cover of night and was spreading oh. an odd film. And so now we're seeing it's not so easy to get rid of a toxic waste site. <laughs> and so I believe there's an opportunity here for a new kind of militancy that looks out for the army of volunteer first responders. And I don't care who they voted for. Mm, God bless you, man, for that. I Same here. I'm fighting for Trump supporters every day because they don't deserve to breathe this stuff in. Bob, what is the best way for our listeners to follow you and all your doings? You are one of the busiest journalists in the game. You're publishing so much stuff. How, how can we follow you? I got to work on volume. I know, right? I'm deeply impressed. <laughs> 
<laughs> it used to be a dollar word. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, I would say that it's at Stuck Nation because we surely are. Right on. Mr. Henley, always a great pleasure. Thank you for joining us. we got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few short moments to get to your calls. If you've been on hold for a long time, I will be thanking you for your patience. This is Progress After Dark. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tonight, we're going to have a very special guest taking your calls with us. If you listen to the show, you know we're big fans of Max Burns. He's a Public Relations Society of America award-winning Democratic strategist and a political columnist whose advocacy work has guided some of the most successful American companies and campaigns in achieving their messaging goals. But you may have read his excellent op-eds from the Daily Beast to seen him on News Nation or NBC News. Mr. Max Burns, what a great treat to end the week with you. Hello. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for being had. I'm really glad you're here because we've been talking about CPAC all day. And I began the show by playing some of the biggest clips uh, of the day from CPAC. You know who's not going to be there is Ron DeSantis. I guess uh, Matt Schlapp lost his number. Donald Trump will be there. And it's a pretty safe bet that a big tentpole of his speech will be increasing his attacks on Governor DeSantis, uh, everything from disloyalty to Trump to trying to make it seem like DeSantis is a Paul Ryan lackey. Uh, I think it's a pretty safe bet that America's most popular governor is going to get taken out to the woodshed tomorrow in this speech. Oh, yeah, the gloves are, are going to come off. I mean, I'm pretty sure Trump showed up to CPAC because he had heard that someone was accused of groping and just wanted to go check it out and see what was going on. <laughs> but it, there, There is going to be this big concerted push that Trump's people have already leaked it to the press, uh, the core of some of his attacks. And it really comes from the fact that, you know, Ron DeSantis is rising in Republican esteem. Uh, people thought Donald Trump was a good messenger for the MAGA sort of value system at the time. But now DeSantis has come along. He said, hey, not only can I speak fluent MAGA, I'm the only guy who's actually turning MAGA ideology into law in Florida. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredibly seductive message for a lot of Republicans. And Trump knows that. I mean, he he can feel it because yeah. a lot of his supporters are now back in DeSantis and talking about the future. Well, that's the thing, right? And I mean, DeSantis is very, very sure that he's going to be able to be the smart Trump. I, I don't know how to tell, Rhonda, that uh, it's not that hard to be smarter than Trump. But I know that you're working on a piece about how... <laughs> 
DeSantis is doing the work, and he is trying as hard as he can to convince Republicans. So far, it seems he's convinced the Republican establishment, and they really want him. And now he's trying to do it by showing, again, the establishment, not the voters. They still want Trump, but he's showing them how to win their decades-long war on public schools. Tell us a bit, Max, if you could, about what you mean when you say educational gerrymandering. Yeah. So what's fascinating to me is there's all these think pieces out now of how did DeSantis go from a guy who just narrowly won his election for governor to someone who is now one of the most dominant Republicans in the MAGA world. And it's because the GOP really sees DeSantis as the guy who has finally taught them how to win the war on public schools. Because, I mean, as you know very well, the GOP used to be the party of let's abolish the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of public school entirely. And they watched that plan fail year after year after year. And now DeSantis is showing that instead of dismantling public education, it's actually way easier to just capture it. And he's made this blueprint for essentially gerrymandering public education to benefit Republicans and shown other states how to do that, too. And it's something that Republicans love. I mean, there's no solid Democratic response to it yet. They're essentially making remaking education without opposition. Yes, it's really true. I think it's because Democrats just weren't really prepared for someone to be this blatant about it. Now, I know Republicans love it. Do students love it? I mean, college students in Florida, especially about at the new Florida school, are not really fans of these performative stunts. I mean... Max, my big problem, my biggest problem of many with DeSantis is that much of what we see him doing, especially the 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 great big cruel acts, seem to be him just trying to convince the Republican establishment that he can be as mean as Donald Trump and still speak in complete sentences. I mean, it, it just sort of seems like we know the cruelty is the point, but is there anything behind all this? He just likes to beat up on marginalized people and on public school systems. Well, the reality is, uh, and Republicans agree, you know, we've seen in survey after survey that the more education you have, the less likely you are to be a Republican. That if you go to a public university and graduate, that you are far more likely to agree with progressive Democratic views on many, many issues. And Mm. that's a major problem for the GOP. The, The Republicans, quite frankly, cannot exist with a broadly educated voter base. And so if they can't stop that education, the goal is to control what you can teach. And if I was a student at a Florida university, I'd be furious too. the amount of money you just paid. And you're watching the value of your degree go down the toilet because Ron DeSantis is going to make your university known as the people who can't teach you how old the earth is. That's I mean, it. It, it, it should be fraud. I mean, we saw DeSantis do this just last year when he eliminated the fifth voting district in Florida, which was 40 percent African-American and had their own African-American congressman representing them. You know, this district ranging from Tallahassee to Jacksonville and Ron DeSantis just busted up the district, divided it. So all those African-Americans were absorbed into four other majority white districts. Their votes were completely diluted. They do not have representation anymore. And that African-American congressman is now out of a job. I mean, Ron DeSantis will do it. He will. I mean, that's literal gerrymandering, but he'll move anything around. He doesn't care if it's fair. He doesn't care if it's just. He doesn't care if it's recommended by science or academia. He's just auditioning 
for Republican Party idol. That's it. He is. And it's working because there's a bill now uh, that's being debated that would give him essentially blanket power to ban any classroom teaching that in his judgment, and this is a quote, portrays America as not living up to the principles stated in the Declaration of Independence. The white discomfort bill, white discomfort bill, anything that makes a white anything that makes a white child or their racist parents uncomfortable, we can sue. That was don't say gay and that stop woke. It's just they're trying to say we're not censoring. We're just allowing any Yahoo out there who wants to sue a fucking school to go ahead and sue them. It is. It's ridiculous. I mean, put aside the fact that AP African-American history is now out of the school system because it wanted to talk about racism. It's no exaggeration to say that if Florida teachers want to keep their jobs, they'll teach that America is great, has always been great. And don't you dare think otherwise. And, and Ron DeSantis has said that he is very eager to enforce this to protect the values of Florida children. And those values increasingly seem to just be Republican talking points. That's it. So what do you make of the fact that DeSantis is doing so poorly in the polls right now? I have to confess, I'm really surprised. They they seem to have this guy all ready to go, this this new doughy fascist mediocrity. I, I, I don't know if Joe Biden at age 82 can beat DeSantis, but I've been a lot less worried about it lately. Max, I've been really thinking that, you know, Mitt Romney knew how to have a etch-a-sketch moment when you got to the general. I, I, I've come to believe that Ron DeSantis has gone too racist in 2022 and 2023 to have much luck with independence in 2024 after the disgust we saw for this racist meanness uh, from independent moderates in, in both 2020 and 2022. Well, I think that there's going to be a lot of storytelling Democrats need to do here because the the reality is DeSantis's poll numbers are low because despite being a celebrity in Florida and, and well-known to us who are and forced Fox by New- sick, and sickness Fox to Fox News is this. doing all they can. My God, fo- I've, I have not seen Fox News flog someone this hard since George W. Bush. Yeah, that's ex- and that's exactly why, is that he's still fairly unknown to actual voters. And it's why when you hear Ron DeSantis introduced to voters through Fox, through Newsmax, when he goes to Iowa, it's not about shipping immigrants away because most Americans don't like that. He's talking about what he's doing in schools. He's talking about this this bill that he passed that that essentially lets any member of Florida's board of trustees uh, for for colleges file a complaint against any professor at the university for teaching forbidden knowledge. Right. And, And who has appointed all those trustees? Governor Ron DeSantis. And he goes and he talks about these cultural war issues because that's what's motivating those base voters. And the more he talks, the more he's climbing in the polls. So don't count him out yet. I'm not counting him out at all, but it does seem like there will be a lot of lawsuits following this guy around next year. So maybe he really is just like Trump. I'm still waiting for for New York to file its lawsuit uh, about him essentially kidnapping undocumented migrants. Uh, but you're you're right. I mean, he's put himself at some liability by taking such a bombastic MAGA position. But, you know, not to to rain on our hopes, but I, I've yet to see any accountability for the guy who actually told people to attack the government on January 6th. That's so it. I'm not overly convinced Ron's going to face imminent judgment from anybody. No, 
Look, George W. Bush told terrorists to attack our own troops. Bring it on. He never faced any accountability. So, yeah, I'm not waiting for it here. Max, it's so much fun to have you on on a Friday. You want to talk to some of our, our, our listeners and our evil army of the night? I do want to talk about what DeSantis is trying to do with this registry of bloggers. But we have a lot of people who want to weigh in on what we're discussing. Are you up for it? Yeah, let's do it. Dean is calling from L.A. and he's been on hold forever. Dean, thank you so much for your patience. You're on Sirius XM with Max Burns. Good evening, Max and Reverend Kibblesang. Hello. Um, I actually wanted to hit upon even more of what DeSantis is up to. With, Please. Um, uh, like over the last week regarding um, that he is honestly trying to take the land of, of Disney, uh, you know, that uh, yeah. trying to control what Disney has done simply for having a, I don't know, um, a, a remark that, that Disney had made about him. And trying to teach them a lesson. It, it's yeah. It's I mean, uncanny. Disney. He's punishing. He what he's doing is punishing a corporation for exercising free speech. This is the party of big business. But uh, Disney says, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't need to be cruel to trans children. Maybe trans children have the highest suicide rate of any group of young people, and they're already struggling enough. And so right away, DeSantis calls them woke. The rest is history. And this district that they've had for a long time, DeSantis announced that they wouldn't control it anymore, which was essentially, back me up on this, Max, a tax increase on the people of Florida in that district. He's been trying to do some damage control on that this week. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, this is a guy who got married at Disney World and is now the the leading... (laughs) person beating up on one of the most popular places in florida and so one of is, the largest employers wild. in his state one of the largest yeah. employers in his state but republicans I, I, love that I, I vengeance politics yeah go ahead dean thank you I, I i gotta i gotta wonder how far he'll take it like he'll rename it and say it's no longer disney world it's now desantis world <laughs> uh, or i think he's done sleeping beauty castle will be not woke beauty castle Oh, there you go. Okay, get it in. Get you anything else? Take the haunted mansion and call it the governor's mansion. There we. This is your open mic night. Anything else? Hit us again. (laughs) There you go. Oh, let me see. Epcot Center. What do you want to name that? Uh, CPAC Center. (laughs) Well, but but you know Uh, what? I I, Frontierland to rugged individualist land. I can see him doing it again. He'd be like Trump and name ugly buildings after himself. But Max, I I think Ron DeSantis is done with Disney. I think he only did this for performance. Disney took the bait and said, hey, let's be decent to a marginalized group of children. And Ron DeSantis has milked this thing so hard. My nipples hurt. I, I, I think he's calling it a win and saying how he went after big bad Disney. And that's really going to be all the low information voting public requires. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's already said, you know, he owned the libs. Mickey's not woke anymore. Main Street USA is is back to the good old days. Oh. And and he's going to move on to the next thing. And he's he's picking these targets that, that are, it's unique in that it gives him the power to declare victory and determine when he's won, which is... Which is a great thing for a publicity stunt, but it's it's not much for governing. But and it's always against minorities. That's the thing. All the books that are being scrutinized or removed from Florida school libraries, they all deal with the LGBT experience or the black experience. The stop woke law is a white fragility law that lets anyone sue if someone says slavery was bad. The, the don't say gay law is a is a heterosexual fragility law that just says sue anyone if they ever say that being gay is not horrible. I mean, it's just pun down all the time, that's not going to sell well with non-white voters, and it's not going to sell well with voters under 30. No, there is there is no oh, way. I mean, this oh is my. all culture war stuff. Yeah, all of it. 
I can end it with one thought. Uh, Tell me. I don't think DeSantis realizes it, but he's actually writing the next chapter of the AP history books on fascism. Exactly. Exactly. He's showing how critical race theory is real and how it works because systemic racism looks a lot like politicians trying to shut down people teaching systemic racism. (laughs) I just can't believe these idiots. Thank you so much, Dean. I really appreciate the call. Let's go. Uh, to uh, Rachel, who's calling from L.A. Hi, Rachel. You're on with the great Max Burns. Hello. Happy Friday night. Happy Friday. Um, yes, this DeSantis, he just drives me crazy. He's such a tyrant. He, it's like he's a mini Putin over there in Florida. Like, mm. with not, no education is the same as, like, censorship of people not being able to see the news even. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I do. And, I like, do. You know, the... So much happened so quickly, but it was just like in November or in August where he um, walked out like by force an elected official, a prosecutor who who he said was a woke prosecutor, this Andrew Warren. That's right. And he, he just yeah. fired him, like, and he he, can't, he physically removed him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say I'm shocked, but I'm not. I mean, Max, you you get to cover these people all the time. You, you know, I I kind of feel like. The big surprise that's waiting for everybody with DeSantis is for all of America to finally see what the fuss is about with this guy and realize mm-hmm. that's it. I mean, it, it is fair to say that he's not a terribly charismatic or impressive individual. No, he's not. I mean, his his appeal among Republicans is mainly, as as was just mentioned, you know, how quickly he can institute this. His machine in Florida is is something that puts Donald, whatever Donald Trump thinks he has, to shame. Whether that appeals to sane Americans is a tougher sell. I mean, once people see someone attacking Mickey Mouse or, or you know, pulling Roberto Clemente's children's book out of schools <laughs> or trying to deport children, uh, that, that oh tends to go God. over poorly. And he's not going to be able to charm them back. Yeah, you're right. I hope so. I, hope I mean, so. Rachel, do you think that Trump is going to just be able to beat him or is Trump finished? Uh, I don't. I, I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, it seems like he's he is able to beat him right now. And also, what the fuck? He's a criminal. What is he doing? What standing up there talking like none of this happened? Like I know. So infuriating. I know. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't know. tell you. I don't know who who would be. It would be better if Trump wins, probably for us, because we know Trump will lose. Maybe, but uh, just just, but just remember. Donald yeah. Trump running, Donald Trump running is very good for comedy and potentially very good for democracy because 89-year-old Joe Biden can easily beat Donald Trump. Unless those those election denying people get into and that bill passes this summer with the court with the making the Green Bay sweep legal and they get some cheat cheaters in and then he gets in anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, Max Max any words of reassurance <laughs> here or uh, is it this scary? <laughs> No, I mean, that's the truth. The difference between last time and and next time is that there are Mm -hmm. going to be many more voter suppression laws on the books in states. Mm -hmm. There is going to be a court that we cannot remotely trust. I mean, their their idea after losing 2020 wasn't let's calm down the crazy and appeal to voters. It's let's make losing impossible. That's it. You're right. Mm -hmm. Totally. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rachel, we'll keep you sane. Don't be don't be happy shy. Happy birthday, Chris. So, Chris, say happy birthday. That's right. Everyone wish Chris's birthday. It's still his birthday as far as I'm concerned. We're at 866. It's like the new buzz nights. phrase for the show. Yes, and it's going to continue throughout the year. So suck it, pal. Um, Max, <laughs> let, let's let's talk about just another little bit of Ron DeSantis malfeasance because 
this is this is very Putin-esque. Um, he, he, he says that if you make people who own guns sign up for a registry, that's that's treason. Uh, but people who have own a blog, they, they should sign up on a state registry to have permission to be able to use the First Amendment. I mean, this is real, right? He's really doing this? Yeah, this is something that is stunning to me in that it, it is clearly violative of the First Amendment. What he's doing is saying that bloggers that cover Republicans, essentially, are effectively lobbyists because they're talking about politics and they're talking about legislation with an agenda and an outcome that they want. And that's not what a lobbyist is. There's a definition for lobbyist in Florida already. And spoiler to Ron DeSantis, lobbyists that are registered as lobbyists in Florida already have to report their spending if they're paying for a blog post or paying for opinion commentary. Uh This is singularly meant to target and intimidate bloggers because unlike newspapers, they don't have giant legal teams to fight back and hoping that they can suppress the voices of bloggers while this is tied up in the courts. And it's, it like, is cynical. It is somewhere like, is on the he, list what, of the March what's to Fascism for sure. What's, what's he afraid of? Of bloggers? I mean, he's really going to try to curtail. I mean, like, he has the Fox bubble. No one who supports him is ever going to hear anything critical about him on Uncle Rupert's Funhouse. So wh- why does he even care what people in independent media are doing? Well, this is another example of of uh, playing to the base of people who hate journalists, who think journalists should be executed. And he's picking on ones right. who don't have the resources to fight back. I mean, so, it, it is shocking to me that this same party that says, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, snowflakes, why are you whining about everything, are now looking at bloggers who criticize them and saying, we will fine you up to $25,000 per post and that will continue every day until you take it down or pay the fine, which goes to the trust fund in the executive office. So it's a nice little roundabout way to make some cash, too. Oh, my God. It's just it's just insanity. Um, let me get one more call before our next break, if I could. Uh, Joseph in Manhattan Beach, thank you very much for waiting on hold. Oh, thank you. Well... Uh, what I told the, your your handler uh, uh, is that uh, now I'm one who went to school with Donald Trump. I've I've called before, okay, and I know him from Atlantic City, New Jersey. I worked mm-hmm. close enough for him for 12 years, and he's not going to stop. DeSantis is not going to stop. Putin is not going to stop. <laughs> and and they and, and and they're just. They're, Winning in 2024 is not going to stop it. They need to be arrested. Yeah. Arrested yeah. means to stop the arrested motion. I Until agree. that happens, what do they care? Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, people say, oh, we're very disappointed in what, what he's they, they They're loving it. We have to call this out for what it is. It is a war against our Constitution. Against the Fourteenth Amendment, against people's rights, women's yeah. rights, people, voters' rights, minorities' rights, everybody, educational rights. It is a war, yeah. and until it's characterized as a war, I don't think anything is going. And he could. I think he needs to use his war powers and become a war president. The war on didn't we have a war on drugs before? 
this yeah. make up wars like that, stupid wars? Why does he make up a smart war? I mean, we have a war, war on, on crime on already. We have a war on crime. Yeah, or the war for yeah. democracy. I mean, wh- what do you think, the war Max? It is for the democracy. It is the million-dollar yeah. question. I know Merrick Garland does not want to go down in history as the first attorney general to go after a sitting president, but at some point, until you show the bully, you're willing to punch him in the face. The bully's going to keep on taking your lunch money. We're seeing it. No, that's that's true. I mean, I've said many times that you cannot ask the American people to treat something as a crisis. If they look at their elected leaders and they're not behaving like it's a crisis and we are quite frankly not making the stakes clear that this is not a threat that has passed and and is being investigated as an historical incident. It's something that is ongoing, is active and is in some parts of the country winning. So true. And, and yeah, and Putin's not going to stop either, although we are witnessing what happens when everyone stands up together in incredible solidarity and tells Putin, no, I've never seen it before. I've never seen. I, I honestly wish the entire world had stood up against America when we tried to invade Iraq this way, because uh, I, I don't like to see people in Russia yeah. suffering. I love the Russian people. But my God, someone's got to say no to Putin. And just seeing Finland join NATO this week was quite frankly thrilling for me. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Finland's Finland's not official yet, but they're going to join. So it's like you're exactly oh, right. Join, I'm yeah. nonviolence, but you got to stand up to these people. And I'm looking forward to see who will stand uh, up to Ron DeSantis because Joe Biden, that's not part of his shtick. He's got a real charm. He knows how to handle guys like that. But he also has, you know, surrogates who will go out and do the bloody fighting for him. So we'll yeah. have to see. Yeah. Joseph, well, I'll give you so the last word. Thank you very much for hearing my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please call up more often. I really appreciate hearing from you. Max, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I would say I'm so glad you phrased it like that because I look at this Russia situation and I remember 9-11 and the sense of uh, support and solidarity that came in from the world. And this is almost like the moment done right. Right. Yeah. President Bush squandered that solidarity and squandered that goodwill and squandered that sense of of collaboration in the Western world. And now we've seen Joe Biden really harness it to do good. And this Finland decision is massive. I mean, this is generational positive change toward democracy. I think so. And again, I'm anti-war as the next guy. But it's like when I hear every Republican who attacked us for being America haters because we were against Bush's illegal stupid war, all demanding that Zelensky make peace before Russian troops leave his country. I just don't even know what this country looks like anymore, Max. It, it is so good to have you with us, Mr. Burns. What is the, the best way for our listeners to keep up with you and your work? And what are you uh, training your eye on for your next column? So you can check me out on Substack. It's maxburns.substack.com and on Twitter at TheMaxBurns. And I am keeping my eye on Ron DeSantis. I get the feeling every time I look away, he gets a little bit bigger. So maybe if I stare at him, He'll stay the same size and we can beat him. (laughs) Yeah, Donald Trump has the same anxiety. Well, Max, thank you so much. Come back and join us again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a wrap up and get to all your calls. If you've been on hold, stay there. I will thank you profusely for being so patient. We're at 866-997-GRIT. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. Um, I want to take a moment, if you haven't heard... Some sad news tonight. Uh, actor Tom Sizemore has left us. He, of course, suffered a brain aneurysm uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this is not unexpected. Uh, he had the brain aneurysm on February 18th, and his family has been around him. He has now been taken off of life support. He uh, had the aneurysm because of a stroke. He was only 61 years old. And, um, you know, what a what a terrific, charismatic actor. Chris and I were just talking about him during the break. It's kind of sad to think about the beginning of his career when he was seemingly in every movie for a couple of years. Uh, born on the 4th of July, guilty by suspicion opposite Robert De Niro. Uh, he was in Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man with Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson. Uh, he went on to be in True Romance, where he played one of the cops. He's terrific in it with him and Chris Penn. Wyatt Earp opposite Kevin Costner. Uh, Detective Jack Scagnetti, a huge role as villain in Natural Born Killers. Another villain in Strange Days. Devil in a Blue Dress opposite Denzel. The Heat. He was De Niro's best friend in Heat. Like, And then, of course, Saving Private Ryan, the film that I would probably say is his best performance. The film that I thought he should have gotten an Oscar nomination for. I, I think he is the best performance in that movie. It allowed him to play so many different sides of himself. And it's also sad because Tom Sizemore had a lot of demons that have been very well reported. Uh, you know, he was in Pearl Harbor. He was in Black Hawk Down. But as time went by, he began to do a lot of movies that didn't actually get released in theaters. We didn't see him in mainstream films as much. And you heard a lot of things about his personal life, dating Heidi Fleiss, what have you. Chris and I were just talking. If you look at Tom Sizemore's IMDb, there are so many dozens of walk-on roles in films that you've never heard of that barely get released. I'm surprised it's not Bruce Willis. And it's clear that he was working a lot. Chris, how many unreleased projects does he have in development right now? He, he was 30, certainly functioning. He has 31 projects that are in post-production or completed and haven't been released yet. He had over 15 films released in 2017, about 10 in 2018, about 10 in 2019. I mean, he was... He was working constantly uh, and, and making the money. But wow, very, very sad. Um, I, I, you, know what I, I look, you know what I will say, though, is that I've, I've if you spend enough time uh, on Netflix or Amazon or just cable TV, I've happened upon some of these movies and he's still good. He's still good. He's, yeah. he's still there's a certain presence about the man. There's a certain menace about him. Yes. And. He had a great cameo role in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, he did. There was a, an amazing humor to the guy. He's hilarious as the gangster in Enemy of the State. 
if he, if he could have wrangled his demons more capably for a longer period yeah who who knows when he was doing saving private ryan steven spielberg said that he steven spielberg said that he would reshoot the entire movie if sizemore ever failed one drug test and sizemore was tested i believe every week never failed a test he thanked spielberg for helping him with his recovery from addiction and yeah, you know what he's hilarious in? He's psychotic in Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead. He plays the crazy guy that Nicolas Cage drives the ambulance with at one point. Yeah. And he's just yeah. great in it. It's really, really sad. Um, and he's wonderful in Heat. You know, I just spend the weekend watching some great Tom Sizemore movies. Or yeah, watch some of the lesser known ones in the past few years. And, uh, you know, he auditioned six times to play Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs. Just <laughs> such a career. God bless Tom Sizemore. I'm John Fiegel saying this is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-GRIT. Sila in Texas. Thank you for being so patient on hold. Hey, John. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm, rest in peace, Tom Sizemore. I yeah. totally agree. But, you know, now I feel really bad because I was going to, y'all were working blue and I was going to work blue and now I feel sad. You can but work I'm blue. Try Go to ahead. Do it. How are we okay. working blue? Anyway. Y'all were talking about DeSantis, and I have been driving my girlfriends crazy about the stupid theory I came up with about DeSantis. And and I didn't do this. I will just let me preface this. Okay. This is not me. But okay. he reminds me of like a 12-year-old boy who has a big sister, and she had a slumber party. And some saucy <laughs> girlfriend almost touched his wiener and he splooshed too fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that is his political career. I think he is like, <laughs> like, I, I can't. He's my already done. Would kill me. He's done. He's done. Yes. I the, think he's done. Prom, he prom night, the, the after party at prom night ended early. I understand what you're saying. Right. It's funny that you okay. say he That's reminds hot. you of a 12-year-old because he's very short. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah he is. He is. Yeah, maybe nothing that's wrong, what I mean. nothing I, wrong with being look, short. Nothing wrong I with know, being short. I know, and there's nothing wrong with being short. But I'm just saying he he is said in an interview, and he, they, it wasn't a metaphor. He he looks up to Mickey Rooney. Oh, stop! Now All he right. did not say that. That is there not nice, people. Not nice. <laughs> not. We're not doing short jokes on this show. We're not ableist or sizist here. So what if his world looks like Paul Simon having lunch with Tom Cruise? That's not nice to talk about. No, it's not. You shouldn't. No. Thank and you. I'm not going to ever look, I'm, do John, it I'm not saying he look John I'm not saying he should, look I don't mean to make fun of short people but I did read in the Orlando Sentinel that after he won the governorship of Florida uh, he said what a great pleasure it was to finally be in the governor's mansion and his aides had to say sir that's a matchbox uh, this is ableist. This is ableist, and this is wrong. And I, I denounce all of this, people. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I all of this is wrong, and I do not approve. Me this too. Message. Yeah. I do not either. But what I was calling about, I love your your guest and your caller, Bill from Cali, about um, big corporations. Okay, I live. Look, 12 Sheila, miles. I'm not saying. Look, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say that he's short. I, I apologize for all that. But I did run into him on the Colorado River, and I saw him. We were kayaking, and he's like, "I lost my paddles. Do you have a Q-tip?" This is not. This is this is not funny. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I do not endorse this. It's As a tall person, I have never told short... I am secure enough in my height to not tell short jokes. And I, I denounce these proceedings. I'm sorry, Sheila. Go hey, on. I'm 5'4", so I, but I don't give a shit. Yeah, was, You're but, two feet Maybe he does. I think he does. I think he wouldn't mind. No. 5'4 <laughs> is perfect. You're, you're just right. Okay, so... My thing about big corporations using our infrastructure and yes. ruining our land and poisoning us all and all that crap. And I loved your guests. I love Bill and Callie because, okay, first of all, the, the trains. I live 12 miles from a lignite plant that hauls coal uh-huh. out of a small town from me. And I it rumbles my house when this thing heads mm. out and headed somewhere with coal. It's just so heavy. But um, it's horrible. It's horrible. They don't give a shit. They, and the yeah. fact that we can't have rail to take people across this country like small countries in Europe has. No, we can't. We don't have that. We can't do that. Why can't well, we? Well, we that? we we can. We just have to get the collective we will don't. on it. We don't. But we can and we could. We just have to get enough of us to realize. Oh, gee, we can do a lot of good things for America if yeah. we want to bad enough. Yeah. We got gay marriage. We got gay marriage in this country. We can get bullet trains coast to coast. We got to get rid of that first, yeah, before we have anything. But also, my my husband is a truck truck driver. Right. My son drives for UPS. And anyway, a couple weeks ago, my my husband got uh, a new truck to drive, and he's been driving for fucking ever, and he's super duper old. But he got a he got a truck that had a driver facing camera on him. Okay. And he was like, oh, hell no. So we put tape over it, and a few days later, they called in, well, you got to come pick up this other truck. And it had a forward-facing camera because he's driven with this company for so long that if they lost him, they'd have to replace him. And he's a good driver. Well, that's good. Um, They're just out of hand. Yeah, it's just at hand. And then I'll, so I went online. And why? Why I, do they have camera? Why do they have cameras on their drivers to see if their drivers are like on the phone or something? Why would they to do see that? If they're doing rails off the dash. I don't know. Right. Right. You know, uh, and they're not yeah, insurance. It's all liability. It's all about That's liability. It. Yeah, you're right. And so if something happens, they can go, oh, and you know, really, seriously, the only thing they're ever going to see a driver doing is saying, oh, fuck. <laughs> right before. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of things they could see a driver doing. I don't see that lasting. That's I'd see the ACLU being all over that. But Sheila, thank well, you very much. what? What that they the punishment would be them seeing my husband in his underwear in the truck where he lives for two to three weeks. That would well, be their punishment. Okay, I wish that it could them. be worse. They could watch, you know, the the George Santos at a truck stop crawling in for his. Nah, I'm not even gonna go there. Thank you, Sheila. It's so good to hear from you. Eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight is our hey, number. Yes, sir. Did you hear? Uh, you know that the the whole reason DeSantis is going after this Disney thing is to. To, you know, to get back in an ex-girlfriend? No, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Tinkerbell. It, it's not, it, I don't approve of any of this, and we are not sizest here. Not even to Chris Christie. He's not that short. You can't, you, how tall are you that you can make these jokes? Three foot eight. Oh, okay, you're allowed. Really quick, uh, Mitch in Kent State, welcome before the break. Thank you, John, appreciate it. Uh, some other sad news today too, John, if you heard David Lindley, uh, pedal stool player uh, with Jackson Brown for years, 
guitar uh, and uh, pedal steel. Uh, matter of fact, he's the falsetto in the song Stay. Um, okay, nice. Um, Jackson Brown's uh, that live album with uh, mm-hmm. the loadout. That's, that's him singing the falsetto. But uh, you've out Brown. you've out geeked me again, Mitch. Well, I just, only because I saw the headlines today. But yeah, he I mean he played with Crosby and Nash. He was on Lawyer Cohen's first album also. Okay, um, and Crosby uh, uh, Nash, uh, Ry Cooter, but uh, fantastic uh, steel player. But uh, yeah, he passed away. Say, but uh, I'm so sorry. John, Thank you. Dude, I understand this. Uh, what a hypocrite! You're about the, all the other thing was that uh, you know he's asking uh, for, of course, the the, uh, the gun pushing the gun lobby, purple to carry legislation right. there in Florida, while banning guns at his own uh, uh, you know rallies and such. You know, just uh, you know, it's you know, just the same same old thing as far as. Gun, you know, legislation that he just, uh, you know, totally against. But uh, yeah, you know, of course. But, but, but don't come see me with one. You know, you, you won't, or well, he doesn't rally. care. He doesn't care how many people get killed by AR-15s. He's pro-life. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then yeah. uh, also Michael Steele. God bless Michael Steele. He uh, last night uh, talked about um, Major Tor- uh, Green last night. She said, you know, about, about this American divorce, or she wants to call it. You know. A Republican president died because he tried to bring the country together the last time. It, it, hmm. He had a divorce, you know. So yeah, that's and a good then, point. And then uh, you know, it, so you know, you got blue cities and red states. I don't know how Alaska will work out. You know, it's just it's, it's just totally ridiculous. You know, totally ridiculous. It means that these secessionist idiots are going to do a lot of talk to make liberals angry. They're not going to do anything because they're never going to get real secession. We are a purple country. We are interdependent, whether we like it or not. We're stuck with each other. And if you like Michael Steele, uh, you should watch his podcast this week because uh, he's got Jonathan Capehart, Pulitzer winner, and uh, Tara Setmeyer of Lincoln Project, and me. So uh, check it out because we covered that exact subject with Michael. Hey, Mitch, thank you very much. This is Sirius XM. I'm John Fugel saying peace. Peace.